Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Tom Dorian and Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. We're so happy to have you guys. And you know, here's here's what's so cool about today. I know you're probably wondering, you know, like, why do we have all these balloons? Yeah. Uh, why why the cake? Exactly. Well, read the cake, Tom. What does the cake say? Happy birthday, Mary. That's right. It's Mary's birthday. Beautiful. Yay. Yeah, I know. And uh, and maybe later, if you guys are good, we'll sing happy birthday. Awesome. That I think we fantastic. can all join in happy birthday to Mary. That'd be but awesome. This uh, is the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's Amen. the official feast name. And I, I, you know, I've started. I, I love that. It makes it sound so much more profound. Mm-hmm. The Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. <laughs> and so, like every year now, I have the Nativity of Deacon Jeff Drozemski. <laughs> you know, on January first on my birthday. And so, I just require everyone in the house to to say it that way. No, I don't. I don't do yes, that. You do. <laughs> I do. He does. I believe it. <laughs> no, I don't do that. So we're going to talk about Mary, and, and I think that we kind of want to focus on I, what I like to do is. Help people see why do we care? Mm-hmm. Not just about Mary, but why do we care about her nativity? Why do we care about her birth? What does it? What difference does it make? I mean, I, I think it's nice that we remember nice things and have a party every. Year. It's always good to have a reason to have a party, right? Absolutely. And the church loves her feasts, and we love to have parties. And certainly, they got to have something going on every weekend. Some other new feast or some kind of saint to trot out there, and you know, and it's like that's nice. But at the same time, there's a reason behind every single one of them that is profound, and really, it it, it speaks to the supernatural. It's it speaks to God Almighty, Mm -hmm. Um, and so this one is no different. The Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary is one of those feasts that it doesn't always get a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. Um, I I know it does get attention from uh, you know like expectant moms who are expecting their due dates sometime in September, and they're thinking, like, do you think it'll be on Mary's birthday? You know, And a lot of people pay attention to that. It, it gets attention for by the Order of Malta, the official sponsor of the Catholic Cafe. That's exactly right. We, we, well, you know what? We love nativities. Teacher because Pat. that's right. He's, he's a good guy. You're good. He's a good you're, guy. You're good. But let me just... Um, <laughs> it's, it's a feast that has been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. We think it started sometime in maybe the 5th or the 6th century, in fact, they found a hymn about the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary that was written in the early church that was in the 6th century. It's dated mm-hmm. the 6th century. So it means that at That's least cool. at that point that they were thinking like this. Mm-hmm. We need to care about the, the nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so it's, it's been with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what we have to do is kind of figure out like, well, what is it that we want to, what are we going to talk about with this feast? I, I think it's important to note I mean, there's a whole pile of feasts of, about Mary. I mean, I think she's got more feasts than anybody, you know, when it comes to... I think if you're right. Not counting the solemnities of, of Sundays, you know, that, that are all attributed to our Lord, certainly, but, but for Mary to be called out, you know, there's the Queenship of Mary, the Assumption of Mary, the Immaculate Conception of Mary, the, and certainly the Birthday of Mary, and all these different things that we celebrate about Mary, Our Lady Queen of the Rosary, all these different feasts, and now Mary, Mother of God, Mary, you know, all the different... Marian feasts, and there's, there's a lot of them, but there's only two saints in which the church 
has on her calendar um, that that ha- that deals with their nativity or their birth. Mm-hmm. So those two saints and Tom, you know these, right? Yeah, Mary yeah. and John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. So Mary and John the Baptist are the two saints, and and so you start thinking like, well, you know, usually we focus on their death. Right. Right, because the death of a saint is essentially when we would say they're sort of birth into eternal life. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that is glory day. That is the day we celebrate like their martyrdom, you know, when they died or whatever's when they entered into glory and that's the day typically on a calendar in which whatever whatever saint is named mm-hmm. on that day is that's typically the day they died. Right. And so that's usually what happens, but not in this case. It's it's Mary's uh and John the Baptist's birthdays on those nativities, the date of those nativities, that's when we celebrate them as well. Now, John the Baptist also has, uh, he's got two feasts. He's got his uh, nativity, his birth, and then there's also his... Passion. His passion, yeah. But I like the, in the old way, it was called the beheading of John the Baptist. Hmm. Well, it's serious, you know. But we talk about the day he died, but he also gets the date. Now, so trying to figure out, like, why do they get that? And there is something that separates those two particular saints. Both of them are said, whether either scripturally or in tradition, are said to have been born without sin. Now, notice I said born. Mm-hmm. Because John the Baptist uh, was said to have been sanctified or uh, cleansed of his sin while in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, Mary's cousin, who she went to visit. And we see in Scripture uh, at the visitation where the babe leaped in her womb. And so, so many people, yeah, look at our show, Anaphaneo. It's a great show. Um, and many people, theologians, will say this is when we can identify when John the Baptist was then essentially made sinless. Hmm. Right? Now, he wasn't conceived without sin, but merrily, Mary, merrily, merrily, Mary was conceived without. <laughs> it was a you know a little slip of the tongue, that's but it okay. was We're appropriate. With We're with you. But Mary was conceived without sin, mm-hmm. and so that's why we celebrate her immaculate conception from the very moment of conception. Mm-hmm. She was prepared by God for the role that she would play in bringing, being the conduit. For salvation, and I think one of the most powerful uh, scriptural support pieces of scriptural evidence for that is just how the angel Gabriel greets her um, when in um, in the opening of Luke, where he says he greets her as Kakeratomene. A lot yeah. of times that says "Hail, full of grace," but Kakeratomene, you know, actually just means "Hail, you who." Were, are, and always will be yeah. fully graced, like, having having been graced. <laughs> yes, well, and because it's in the perfect tense, in the same sense of it is written, and this is before Christ entered the world. It's before he was conceived. It's before she gave her fiat. She was already it is written, fully graced. If you're looking at a sixteen eleven version of the King James Bible, right, the KJV sixteen eleven edition, which is the one Jesus had. If you look at that Bible, you're pause, <laughs> pause. <laughs> In the gloss, so in in the actual, right next to Luke, uh, in that first chapter where it talks about that that Greek word, right there it says, having been graced. You know, Mm. it's like, oh, so even that Bible recognized (laughs) that word and, and implying that it is, it was, it will always be. It's like full of grace, right? Not in the sense of... Um, you will be graced, 
but you have been graced and you're born in grace. So that's a that's a powerful thing to, to point out. There there are some other things I want to kind of note about this feast. One of them is like the early church has always sort of you know given homage and and veneration the highest level of veneration to Mary, uh, even St. Augustine. So this is before the 5th and 6th centuries when we think this maybe this feast day started. But St. Augustine wrote this about Mary's birth. He, he says, She is the flower of the field from whom bloomed the precious lily of the valley. Through her birth, the nature inherited from our first parents is changed. That essentially, in her birth, she, is, she writes what was wronged. So she's the new Eve, and a lot of times we'll see Mary being viewed as a new Eve. Like she, she righted the wrong of Eve. So where Eve said no, right, by her sin, and Adam's sin certainly, but where Eve said no, Mary said yes. Hmm. Let it be done to me according to thy word. And, and so you realize her fiat, her yes, mm-hmm. it literally changed the world and all of us or from that point forward just because of who she was and again it's this concept of of flesh of in her humanity her flesh right her yes is transformative uh, and and this is why she is prepared from the very beginning to be that conduit and we care about her very beginning right where she came from it's cool too the notion of uh our Blessed Mother being the new Eve, because in the book of Genesis, it talks about, uh, it says that her name was Eve because she, she she was the mother of all the living. And so that takes on new meaning within mm. the context of the Christian faith and the life that we get from Christ. Uh, because what is it? If uh, life is Christ, then death, death is gain. Yeah. And our Blessed Mother is mother of all the living by being mother of God and mother of all Christians. Yeah, and so that's why inherently there's a little bit of a sadness, I think, when people say, well, you know, I love all that. I don't mind all that Catholic stuff, but I just don't understand why you guys worship Mary or why you guys focus on Mary, which obviously we don't worship Mary, but we have great benefit in having a, a universal mother in Mary. Mm. And I just, there's a sadness there for the folks that don't really recognize and view that if she's the mother of the living, she's all of our mothers. And she's the mother of life, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that, but, but Mary is always pointing us to her son. Mm-hmm. Even from That's her true. birth, she's pointing us to her son. Her, 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 her immaculate conception and her birth essentially is preparation for the, the son. That, you know, there's, there's a, this phrase that you know, Jesus is the dawn of salvation, right? His birth is the dawn of salvation. Well, she's like the dawning of the dawning of salvation. Mm. Right, she's the precursor to the salvation. She's part of God's process in reconciling the entire world back to Himself, mm-hmm. and that part is uh, that's powerful. And so you start thinking, like, well, yeah, I guess I do want to pay attention to Mary a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, as focused as some of us might be on Mary, those same people oftentimes have a Christocentric understanding of Mary. So ultimately, that which seems Mary-centered is ultimately Christ-centered because without Christ. Mary would not have the relevance that she has in her life. Every time that I hear that discussion, right, it's so vital for people to remember, you know, go to the wedding feast at Cana. What what does she tell you? She says, do whatever he tells you. Right? She's always telling us to do whatever her son tells us.
tells us to do. Right. Yeah, so we're always following that. So we have more to talk about on the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the birthday of Mary. Uh, we may even have a little celebration a little bit later on. Uh, but before we do all that, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. I'll, also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. And if you want to sing happy birthday, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. Little is known about the details of the life of St. Lucy. She lived in Syracuse in Italy in the early 4th century. One tradition tells us that her mother raised her to be a pious and holy young girl. She prayed fervently and often. St. Lucy decided at a young age to consecrate herself to God, but she did so secretly because she thought her mother would not approve. In fact, she had already made arrangements to have St. Lucy married to a wealthy and influential pagan in town. However, her mother, who had been ill for a very long time, was miraculously cured after her daughter prayed for her at the tomb of St. Agatha. She was so thankful to God for this blessing that when she discovered that St. Lucy wanted nothing more than to live as a bride of Christ, she eagerly and thankfully gave her approval to her daughter's willingness to live out her vocation. Her rejected suitor, however, was not as thankful, to say the least. When he heard what had happened, he gave St. Lucy's name to the local governor and told him she was a Christian. This was, in effect, a death sentence, as Christians at this time were being persecuted, most being subjected to unimaginable torture and painful deaths. Tradition tells us that St. Lucy's eyes were gouged out. In fact, she is usually depicted in artwork holding a plate with her eyes upon it. But even though she was blinded in this horrible way, St. Lucy would not recant her love of Christ. Finally, after much suffering at the hands of her persecutors, she was eventually martyred. The name of Lucy literally means light, and it was evident that even though she was blinded, she could still see clearly the light of truth that shone brightly in the fledgling church of the 4th century. And her clear vision can serve as a tremendous example for us. In fact, she has been named the Patroness of the Blind. We can all, in a sense, be blinded, blinded by the allurement of sin, and it is only through the mercy of God that we are healed. It is only through the light of Christ that we can truly see again. St. Lucy is one of the many Catholic saints who can help us see that light. By following in her brave and holy ways, we too can be healed of our blindness. Her feast day is celebrated by the Universal Church on December 13th. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting here with Tom Dorian and Sam Rodriguez, and we're talking about the birthday of Mary, the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin Mary, uh, which is September 8th. On the calendar, which Mm -hmm. is, for many of you right now, today. So, happy birthday, Mary. 
Um, and you know what? Before we start talking about this again, I do want to give a shout out uh, to someone who is a friend of mine, um, and his name is Adam Smith, and he's a teacher at St. Benedict at Auburndale Catholic High School. That's right. Good and, man. And my uh, daughter is in his theology class. So I'm sure um, Mr. Smith listens to all of these shows, and so now he has material that he can then use on the kids. And my daughter doesn't listen to me, but she'll listen to him. <laughs> my theology teacher said. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway, just want to give a, high, a little shout-out to uh, Adam Very Smith. Uh, so let's continue on this path of Mary's birthday and why really we even pay attention to it. You know, there's a concept, like, especially when you're talking about Scripture. Scripture is always replete with examples of, you know, Simon Barjona, mm-hmm. Simon, son of John. We know Simon. We know he's from good stock because he's the son of John. Right. And so, like, where you come from, your heritage, mm-hmm. your ancestry, your gene- genealogy is, you know, Matthew starts off with the genealogy of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so you start to realize that it matters where you came from. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of knowing who Jesus is is you know who his mother is, the stock, where he came from, right? And and then also in the same way, where did Mary come from? You know, Anne and Joachim, Mary's parents. What was the deal there? And and I guess it's always been important for us to understand where did Jesus come from? What was his lineage? And going back, and you start to see, um, like, Joseph and Mary and their lineage and, and why it was important. Um, and and so we know more about Jesus because we know more about Mary. And so when we pay attention to Mary, we're ultimately going to be paying more attention to Jesus. It's true. Mary always leads us to Jesus as we you know ended that last segment. But there's another thing going on here I think that's important, and, and that is this this feast day one of the one of the reasons why we have this feast now first of all let's note that there's the feast of the immaculate conception and that takes place on december 8th well if you just you know get your calendar out everybody get out your calendars oh wait a second <laughs> get your calendars out get one of those paper ones not that little digital one now get the yeah there you go digit paper one all right let's start flipping pages start on december 8th and flip nine times Nine months later, what is that? September 8th. So the Immaculate Conception, she was conceived on December 8th. That's when we celebrate. And then born September 8th. Now, do we know that was the date? We kind of lost the records. We don't have her driver's license. We don't know her date of birth. birth But the church celebrates in its um, enfleshed reality like nine months after conception comes birth. And so it's interesting to note that with with the date of September 8th and where that comes from. Uh, but also just the concept of flesh. We want to kind of dwell there because one of the reasons why this is important, this feast day, why it's different than the Immaculate Conception, right, is now we're talking about essentially affirming, the church is affirming the humanity of Jesus, mm-hmm. So if Jesus is truly God and truly man, fully human and fully divine, this is obviously a conundrum. It's obviously a great mystery. And the church has always taught this is the true mystery. But the point is, people aren't going to, they're going to start saying, well, you know, Jesus might have been human-like or human-esque, or maybe he took on flesh, but he went down to Target and bought some flesh, or it came to him later, or whatever. And if we don't know his origin, if we don't know that he actually was born, you know, that he came from the womb of Mary, 
then how can we know that he is human? Mm. Right. That his that that he is fully human. How how can we even know that? Because it's like if a guy showed up, Tom, you showed up and said, you know, this is my mother. You know, if I didn't know, if if you just showed up and didn't even point out your mom, you might have been, you know, you might just like just appeared. Yeah, you beamed here, like beam me down, Scotty. Mm-hmm. You know, you might have just showed up, fully enfleshed and looking like a human being. Mm-hmm. But knowing your mother. Right, the town you came from, and looking, and saying, "Hey, look, they look alike." You know, yeah, I see this that resemblance. Right, and you start to realize it essentially affirms his humanity, mm-hmm. and of course, affirming his humanity is a hugely important thing, right? Because it's so our our faith is not what it would be if it was unless we understood it incarnationally. If we didn't understand fully, um, you know, John chapter one. Right in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word took you know he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. And it, the Word is capital W, and it's speaking of Jesus that Jesus is God, and he took on flesh and he walked amongst us. And because the the fact that he that we realize that God takes on flesh, God humbled Himself. Right, He became one of us. He he became human, and certainly He walked among us. He experienced everything we experience except for sin. And so in in that way, He like. He became enfleshed. And so what that should teach us is that by his doing that, I mean, he essentially ratified our humanity. He, he sanctified our humanity. He blessed, he, he elevated, he raised our flesh, our humanity, our physicality. So it helps us to understand that because an early heresy of the church is this sort of dualism where the flesh is evil, it's bad, it weighs us down, it holds us, it keeps the spirit from flying up to be with God, like our spirits have little wings and they, they flap up to God, and that's what we want, you just sort of sit on the mountaintop, you know, transcendental meditation with uh, incense mm-hmm. and whatnot, and I want to leave my body. And the reality is that's not what God teaches us in the incarnation, mm-hmm. that we are body and soul, right? That union uh, that Jesus came to save our bodies and our souls. And then one day we'll be in heaven with our bodies, our resurrected bodies at the end of time. And so our bodies are temples. They're good. And, and we can't overstate the importance of this. Like our theology is an incarnational theology. And that's very different, unfortunately, than a lot of our separated brothers and sisters who separated. You mean Protestants. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and speaking with them a lot of times when they have questions about this or that thing that may seem exotic about the Catholic faith, whether it's Mary or whether it's the saints generally or or the Eucharist, uh, what I always say is, you know, we really first have to address the fact that ours is an incarnational faith. That, you know, there are many Protestant denominations who might say that, oh, it's the uh, the crucifixion is the thing that's the most important point in, mm-hmm. in salvation history. No, no, it's not that. It's the resurrection. No, right. it's not that. It's the descent of the Holy Spirit. And for us, we say, well, actually, it's this point that you were just so uh, eloquently uh, describing is when Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us, because that's the thing that makes the crucifixion and the resurrection uh you know, relevant in the first place, the fact that it was a God man who was crucified and who was a God man who was resurrected. We know he suffered, we know we know he died and gave his all for us, right? And that's the only true sacrifice that God would be able to sacrifice and God was the only sacrifice that would actually uh expiate and and just wipe away all of our sins. Right? But we know that in in, in the fact that he became enfleshed um, is like, look, I can see, touch, feel. And the stories about him in Scripture, 
I mean, help us to know he was a real man, and that's totally different. And that that separates us not only from some uh, denominations, but certainly it separates us from all the non-Christian denominations, right? The non-Christian religions, because this incarnational God, he's not a distant... You know, we, we, we don't like, I mean, we shouldn't say we don't like, we, we don't agree with deism where God is this sort of distant, this, this clockmaker that would wind up this beautiful intricate clock and then just let it sit there and tick and never touch it again, right? And we certainly don't see eye to eye with other religions that may call God their father, but they don't see, they would never see God taking on flesh, that God would humble himself and become one of us disgusting creatures down here. He's always up there, mm-hmm. right? And he wouldn't dirty himself. And the reality is... It's not so much that he's dirtying himself, it's that, that he is raising us up, our flesh, and he's perfecting our flesh. The, the very fact that we are who we are and the potential, that we see much more potential, right, in ourselves. I mean, wouldn't you rather view yourself, um, would you rather be dung covered by snow? Or would you rather be um, a, a bowl of fruit that has received uh, the gift of life again and is, is succulent and fresh again? A continuation of his incarnation. Amen. Right? Exactly. Yes. Incarnational theology. And, and, of course, when it comes to all the things that we believe and teach about Eucharist, about all the confession of sins to the priest, all the things that we do that involve our bodies and our physical reality and Jesus, his actual body and his physical reality that's what's important for us to understand and that's why on easter sunday even though uh, the resurrection is obviously very important we celebrate the resurrection every single sunday uh, at on easter sunday it's not like when we do the nicene creed we stop and we bow when we talk at the about incarnation. The, at, at the resurrection we do it at the incarnation that's, right. yeah, that's exactly right, at the inc- and that's, right. And that's, a lot of people don't recognize that and they kind of bow like What's he, is he looking for his contact lenses what's he doing <laughs> right. and the reality is sometimes we do things don't think about it but that's all part of that incarnational theology that we have and that's so beautiful so we, we love uh, Mary we, we realize that she loves us as a mother and certainly she's always leading us to her son so the more we love her the more we're going to love her son and find her son and be presented you know, in in the presence of her son, and so that's why it's such a beautiful thing. And certainly, her understanding her birth, right, as the dawning of the dawning of salvation. You know, like her her birth is like the sort of dawning of peace and grace and mercy and love because of it's Jesus, right? She's bringing Jesus to us. And so when we celebrate her birth, it's like we're living in eternal hope uh, for that peace, grace, mercy, and love. So that's what's so beautiful. And you know, let's just we're going to end. I know it's going to sound horrible with this beautiful music. We're going to sing happy birthday to Mary. (laughs) Let's do it. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Mary. Happy birthday to you. We love you, Mary. (laughs) Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta, Federal Association, and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.